God is always faithful. He'll never let you down. How are you guys doing on this Palm Sunday weekend? Yes, Palm Sunday, seven days to Resurrection Sunday. And we want to prepare our hearts for it. I believe God wants to do something today, though, in your life. He doesn't want to wait until next week. He wants to do something now. And I don't know what you need, but God does, and he has the power to meet your needs. And one of the main purposes that Woodland Church exists is to show that God is real. When you come onto this campus or Itascasita campus or connect online, you're going to experience Jesus Christ. Not religion, Jesus Christ. We want you to know God is real, and he wants to make all the difference in your life. So let's pray to him. Dear God, we thank you that when we come to you and we pray to you, you hear our prayers. You care about us. You love us so much. And Lord, we just come today because we need you. Lord, so many things that go on during the week just really just take the life out of us, but we need you to fill us with life today. You're alive, so bring us to life. And I thank you, Lord, that we can come before you and and just bring our requests to you, and you care about them, and you have the power to meet our needs. So I pray today, over the next few moments, you would just change lives, because your word does that, and that you would speak to us, Lord, right in our hearts, and let us know that you are real, and that you love us, and that you want to do something amazing in us and through us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Have you ever tried to fill up a gas can at the gas station and you're trying to fill it up to the top, but the next thing you know, gas is overflowing, spilling all over your hands and your shoes. Then you get in the car and you've experienced it. The gas fumes just overwhelm you and they stay with you. They stay in your car. A lot of people today are overflowing with stress, frustration, or worry and anger and it just splashes onto everyone around them, and it fills them with stress, frustration, and anger, and it just overflows on and on. Well, God doesn't want his children to be overflowing with stress and worry and anger. God wants us to be filled to overflowing with his grace that splashes onto everyone around us and starts an overflow of grace. He wants you to experience the power of his grace today. So we're concluding this series that's all about experiencing the goodness of God in uncertain times. And we have needed this series because we live in very uncertain times. But God's goodness always comes through. So on this Palm Sunday, I want us to experience the goodness of God's undeserved grace. That undeserved grace that God gives and wants every one of us to experience So we learn how to live in his grace in such a way that the goodness of God's grace overflows our lives and just splashes onto everyone around us. So we're going to look at one of the most important chapters in all the Bible, Isaiah chapter 53. And it's a powerful prophecy. It's been called the fifth gospel by many Christian theologians because it points so clearly to Christ. It's also been called the forbidden chapter because it's hardly ever mentioned in Jewish synagogues because it points so clearly to Christ. It was written 700 years before Christ was born. 
but it's as if the author is looking up at Christ on the cross and describing it. It's an amazing picture of grace. Hey, by the way, Jesus fulfilled 332 distinct Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah, including the place he'd be born, Bethlehem, where he'd grow up, how he would be betrayed, how they would gamble over his clothes, how he would be silent before his accusers, and the way he would die. It says that he would be pierced and raised up for all to see. And crucifixion wasn't even invented at that time. The Romans invented crucifixion as a cruel form of torture and execution hundreds of years after this prophecy was written. The prophecies also tell us his bones would not be broken, not one of them. And yet they broke the bones of the thieves on either side of him so that they would die quicker. But when they came to Christ, he was already dead. So they didn't need to break his bones. It says in Isaiah 53, he'll be assigned a grave with the wicked. And he was assigned a grave with the wicked. His body was supposed to be thrown out after the crucifixion into a pit and burned with the bodies of criminals outside the city. The prophecy says he was assigned a grave with the wicked, but instead was buried in a rich man's tomb. And we know that Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, stepped up and had Jesus buried in his garden tomb. The mathematical probability that all 332 of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah that would be fulfilled, one man fulfilling those prophecies, it's astronomical. In fact, mathematicians have actually done the math on this. And the probability of one man in one life fulfilling all 332 distinct Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiahs, get this number, is one in 840 with 97 zeros behind it. This number, right? I have no idea how to say that number. <laughs> you see, that's the probability it's one in 840 with 97 zeros behind it, the probability that one man in one life could fulfill all 332 distinct Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. But Jesus did because he's the Messiah. So I want us to look at Isaiah 53, beginning with verse four. Would you stand in honor of God's word as we read this forbidden chapter? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You can be seated. When you read this, it's like God transported Isaiah 700 years into the future, right there at the foot of the cross, because he's looking up and seeing Jesus on the cross, and he's describing it in detail. So it's my prayer today that we will go back in time 2,000 years so that we can sit in that very place and look up and see Jesus Christ on the cross, because if we want to experience the overflow of grace, it all starts at the cross. The grace overflow started at the cross and it's turned into a mighty river that's joining an ocean of grace that God wants us to plunge into, that he wants us to swim in and to live in 
So I want us to see three snapshots of grace as we look to Jesus on the cross. First is the face of grace. I want us to look into the face of grace. Now, most paintings, when they depict Christ upon the cross, really sanitize it. All the Renaissance paintings of Christ on the cross may show a little bit of blood trickling from his hands and his feet and his side and a few drops of blood on his forehead from the crown of thorns, but they clean it up and sanitize it completely because if you looked at Jesus' face upon the cross, you'd see that you couldn't even see his face. It was so covered in a sinless blood that was shed for you and me. Look what Isaiah says as he looks at Jesus' face upon the cross. In Isaiah 52, 14, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations. After he was beaten and flogged and bruised and bleeding, his face was so marred and so disfigured that he was unrecognizable. His appearance was so horrific that people looked away in disgust. For when you looked at the face of Christ on the cross, all you would see was ugliness. The beautiful Savior took on all the ugliness of our sins. And as we look today into the face of Christ on the cross, we see the ugliness of our sins. And no matter how hard we try to hide them, the ugliness of our sins eventually comes out. We can put a good face on it. We can act like we've got it all together on the outside. But on the inside, sin is ugly. There's the ugliness of selfishness, the ugliness of pride, the ugliness of lust, the ugliness of lies, the ugliness of greed, the ugliness of our sins just comes out and it disfigures and destroys our soul. It disfigures and destroys relationships and families. And that's what's wrong with our society today. The family structure has crumbled as the ugliness of sin has taken hold. But I want you to look at John chapter 19, verse two. It says, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Now, when I think about the soldiers putting together the crown of thorns to mock Jesus, I usually think of thorns that are on rose bushes. And I've got some rose bushes in my yard. You've got rose bushes more than likely. And if you've ever tried to trim them or even get around them, those little thorns, you, you know, they just dig into you. And so I kind of picture those little thorns that are maybe a half inch long, but a Middle Eastern thorn bush had thorns that were up to five inches long. And I've seen them over there. It was more like a crown of knives. The crown of mockery was like a crown of knives going onto Jesus' scalp. And there are more capillaries in the scalp than just about any other surface area of the body. So when those Roman soldiers shoved that crown of knives onto Jesus' scalp, the blood just gushed down his face. His perfect sinless blood covered his face and matted his hair, and he was unrecognizable. Just think about that for a moment. As we look into the face of grace, I know why Jesus died. I don't understand it completely. I don't understand everything about it because it's such a supernatural thing, but I know why Jesus died. He had to die to take on all of the sins of the world so that we could be forgiven, that we could have a right relationship with God because 
perfect, holy God cannot tolerate sin, but he loves us so much that he sent his only son to be the perfect lamb of God that was sacrificed to take our place so that we could have forgiveness of all our sins. You see, I know why Jesus died, but why did he have to endure all the other stuff? Why did he have to endure all the pain? Why couldn't it have been a quick and clean execution without all the suffering? Why did he have to have the crown of thorns shoved onto his scalp? Why did he have to suffer so much with flogging and beating? Well, after Adam and Eve sinned, God said, no longer will you be able to cultivate the ground without thorns. There'll be thorns in the ground now. And every time one of those thorns sticks into your hand, it will remind you of the consequences of your sin. You see, the thorn represented the consequences of their sin. And all throughout scripture, God tells us that the consequences of our sin will stick into us like a thorn in our side. Thorns have always symbolized the consequence of our sin. And we're all familiar with the consequences of our sins. We're all familiar with the thorn of our sins, the thorn of shame, the thorn of guilt, the thorn of anxiety and fear, the thorn of loneliness, the thorn of separation from God. All those are the consequences of our sin. Jesus Christ took all the other pain, the humiliation, the suffering, the crown of thorns upon his head so that we would know that not only did he die to forgive us of our sins, he also died to take away the consequences of our sins. He also died to take away the thorn. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took upon his body all the sins of everyone who've ever lived. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took it all upon himself, all the worst sins of the world, all your sins and my sins. But not only did he take all our sins, he also took upon his body the consequences of all our sins. So for the first time ever, the Son of God upon the cross felt total shame, felt total humiliation. He felt the thorn of guilt and shame for all those sins. He felt this almost unbearable fear and anxiety. He felt total loneliness and separation. He felt complete separation from his father. He took upon himself all the consequences of our sins. And the good news is this. When we look at the ugliness of the face of Jesus Christ upon the cross, it becomes beautiful to us because the ugliness that he took upon himself was the ugliness of our sins, the thorn, the consequences of our sin. So we don't have to live in shame anymore. We don't have to live in guilt anymore. So many times, though, we put the crown of thorns on our own head. And Jesus says, don't do that. I've already done that for you. We go back to living in a cycle of guilt and shame, and shame keeps us from being close to God. Shame makes us want to hide from God and to hide from others. Shame and guilt just burdens us down, but guilt is no longer necessary because of what Christ did on the cross. All you have to do is walk into the light and say, God, I've sinned, and he forgives you, and he chooses to forget. He loves you completely. And if you're a Christ follower, Satan will say to you, you can't come back to God and receive forgiveness for this sin again. You're messing up so much and you can't tell anyone else about your struggle. It's too ugly. You need to keep it hidden. Keep it hidden from God. Keep it hidden from others. But that keeps you stuck in the sin. It keeps you from getting victory because 
You're stepping out of the light into the darkness of shame. Now, don't get me wrong, guilt is real. Before you come to Christ, hey, guilt is real. A lot of people deny it. They say it's something made up by religious people to try to control others, but guilt is real. I mean, you can deny it, you can act like it doesn't exist, but if you don't deal with it, it will come out in all kinds of crazy ways in your life and in your relationships because guilt is real. When you receive Christ, all the guilt is taken away. If you're a Christ follower and you're putting guilt upon yourself, shame upon yourself, that's not coming from Jesus. It's coming from Satan because he wants to keep you stuck in guilt and shame. It's like you're putting the crown of thorns on your own head when Jesus has already worn the crown of thorns for you. Now, as Christ followers, the Holy Spirit will convict us when we sin. But that conviction draws us back to him. Where we walk into light and say, God, you're right, I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. Thank you that you'll never leave me. Then we're right back in relationship with God. That conviction of the Holy Spirit draws us closer to God, draws us into light, draws us to tell a friend what we're going through so they can pray with us and help us overcome it. So we walk in the light as he is in the light. Guilt pushes us further away from God. Shame pushes us further away from God. And when you feel that shame, you step into the light of God. Don't run from the shame. Step into the light of God's forgiveness because guilt and shame are unnecessary because of the face of grace. We live in grace, guilt-free, but not grief-free. We still, as Christ followers, have grief over our sins and the pain that they cause We still hurt over the loss and the pain our sins cause in our relationships and in our lives. You see, I think the reason why Scripture tells us that when we get to heaven, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And then we'll experience all joy. But I think those tears are going to be tears of grief over our sins on this earth that we didn't give every moment to God that we didn't do the things that were most important that he called us to do. And there'll be grief over our sins. And there's grief over our sins when you turn to God and walk in the light. There's grief over the devastation. And we still need to make amends, not to gain forgiveness, but because of love and because we want to overflow with grace. Well, let's not only look at the face of grace, let's look at the feet of grace today. You know, as you look up today and see the feet of Jesus Christ on the cross, you see that huge spike going through his feet and into the wood, and his blood is pouring out from the same feet that walked mile after dusty mile to heal hurting people, the same feet that walked on the water, the same feet that were washed with sweet perfume mixed with tears of regret, the same feet that walk after us in love, those same feet willingly lay down on the cross and took the spike. I want us to look again at Isaiah 53, beginning with verse five. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. The reason he had to take the spike in his feet is because our feet walked away from God in rebellion and it crushed his heart. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. 
You see, all of us have rebellious feet that have walked away from God. And when we walk away from God and go our own way instead of God's way, what we're really rebelling against is God's control of our lives. You see, we're saying, I know more than you do, God. I know better than you do about my life. I'm gonna do what I want. I'm gonna choose my path. We're saying, I want to be my own God. And the scripture says that whenever we try to go our own path instead of God's path, we become enemies of God. It's not just that we're going down our own path and not choosing God's path. It's that we become enemies of God. We're at war with God. We're at war for control. God made you to need him to be in control of your life. You were created needing a general manager of your life. The God of the universe is that general manager of your life. So when you try to play God, you're at war with God. You're at war for control, and that's why sometimes pastors will say, have you made peace with God? Have you made peace with God? Because until you surrender control to him, you're at war with God, and we've all been at war with God. We've all walked away from his path to go our own way, thinking that we know what's best. We've all rebelled against him. And the reason he took the spike in his feet is because our rebellious feet walked away from him. And whenever you turn to him, he's always right there. He will always walk toward you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But whenever I walk away from him, it crushes his heart. Max Locato in his classic book, He Took the Nails, tells the story of Madeline. When Madeline was three years old, her father Joe started a tradition that every Christmas Eve, he would dance with his daughter. He'd put the music on and they would do a dance on Christmas Eve. And when Madeline was five years old, she grabbed her father's hand and said, Daddy, it's time to dance. Did you forget? It's just you and me. We dance on Christmas Eve before all the relatives come over. And he said, of course. I didn't forget, honey. You're right. How could I forget? It's time to dance. So he took his little girl by the hand, he turned the music on, and they started to dance. And it reminded him of his wife, because Joe and his wife spent many nights before Christmas dancing late into the evening. They felt like they were going to dance forever, but then came the pregnancy and the complications, and Madeline survived, but her mother didn't. So Joe, this butcher from Minnesota, was left to raise a little girl on his own. He didn't know quite how to do it, but he did everything that he could. He wasn't great at expressing emotion, but he loved Madeline, and one of the things that he thought to do was this tradition, to dance with her on Christmas Eve, just like he had done with Madeline's mother for so many years. So every Christmas Eve, Madeline reminded him, hey, Daddy, it's time to dance. It's just you and me, remember, father-daughter dance. But when Madeline became a teenager, rebellion swept into Joe's house like a Minnesota blizzard, and he would say later, I never saw it coming. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do about all the parties. I didn't know what to do about her loser boyfriend and all the friends that she hung around with that were taking her life in the wrong direction. I didn't know what to do about her poor grades, but I did everything I could. So one Christmas Eve when she was a teenager, he put the music on and she came down the stairs and he said, will you dance with Papa one more time? She just shook her head in disgust and walked out the door and slammed it. Even after all the love that her father had given her, she ran away from home. And a friend told her dad that she'd spotted her at a bus station with her loser boyfriend buying a ticket. Well, they actually ended up in Houston. Then the boyfriend broke up with Madeline. 
Then she got kicked out of the place she was living. She found herself homeless. She ended up dancing in a club, being objectified and used each and every night. And after a few months, she felt so empty and so lonely, she just didn't know what to do, but she thought about her father often, and she desperately wanted to go home. But shame kept her from going home. Pride caused her to run away from home, but it was shame that kept her from going home. She thought, I can't go back after all that I've done. Then a few weeks before Christmas, one of the other dancers came to her and said, hey, here's a letter from a guy that came up to me a couple of days ago and wanted me to give this to you, but you weren't there that day. And Madeline opened up the letter, and it was a letter from her dad. And it said, dear sweetheart, I know where you are. I know what you do. And I just want you to know that it doesn't change anything about the way I feel about you. And then she read the next sentence, and the tears just started streaming down her face. Within an hour, she'd gotten on a bus and headed home. Then she knocked on the door, and her dad answered the door, and she said, if the invitation is still there, I accept. And he said, of course. Of course it is, honey. He turned the music on, and he took her by the hand, and they started dancing. You see, the last sentence in the letter said, dear sweetheart, would you come home and dance with your papa? And that's what she did. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, your God says to you, I still feel the same way about you. I love you. I created you. I love you so much I went to the cross and I died for you. I took the spikes in my feet that so, matter, so no matter how far away you run from me with your rebellious feet, I will be right there because I will run to you. All you have to do is turn to me and I'll run to you. I'll hold you in my arms and you'll be home. Come home and dance with your heavenly father. The same feet that were nailed to the cross are the feet of grace that run to you when you stop running. And he will pick you up and he will hold you in his hands of grace. I want us to look at the hands of grace. You see the same hands that broke the bread and produced the miracle that fed 5,000 on the hillside were the same hands that reached out and touched the man with leprosy that no one else would even come close to, and he healed the leper. The same hands that washed the disciples' feet were the same hands that stretched out and created the universe and put the stars in space. And they were the same hands that stretched out again and willingly took the nails because he loves us so much. I want us to look again at Isaiah chapter 53. Look at verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. All that Christ went through on the cross was so we could experience his healing grace. Do you need healing today? Because of his wounds on the cross, he can heal the deepest wounds in your life. Do you need emotional healing today? Do you need relational healing and the most important healing is spiritual healing. Physical healing, God still heals people physically today. We've seen so many miracles of physical healing. And sometimes he chooses not to heal in the way we want him to. But you can be healed physically on this earth. You're still gonna die one day. And that's why spiritual healing is the most important healing. 
And that's when someone turns to Christ and he runs to them and holds them and forgives them and cleanses them and sets them on a new path. Salvation. And Easter is a time of healing. And one week from today, we're going to have Easter. And we started on Friday night, Good Friday. And I want you to know that Easter is all about healing. And this, as I said last week, this church, Woodland Church, these campuses, our online ministry, our broadcast ministry, all of that is healing. This is a house of healing. It's a house of hope to give hope to people who feel hopeless. This is a house that points people to heaven. It's spiritual healing, the most important healing. And so Easter is all about splashing the grace of God on others. It's all about letting the grace overflow come from our lives and come from our church. And so I wanna challenge every one of you to be part of the grace overflow this Easter. We need every one of our regular attenders to serve at one of the services. We'll have almost 40,000 people come through the doors of our campuses and we need every one of you to serve at a service. Come to one of the services and experience Easter. And you know, they're always so creative and they're so powerful, and we've been planning this one for a long time. We've been praying so much about this, and God is gonna work powerfully. And so we want you to invite a friend, a neighbor, a relative, let the grace overflow happen in your life, but we also want you to serve. And we need a lot more of you to serve. We need, really, we need every one of you to serve. People to greet and be the face of grace, to smile at people, just to say, you're welcome, to be Jesus to people. We need people to be ushers. We've got all kinds of needs to serve, and it's really easy, and you serve for an hour, and you experience Easter for an hour, but if you really wanna experience Easter, it's about the grace overflow. It's about being Easter. It's about being Jesus to someone. And we really need so many more volunteers to serve in the children's ministry, which is packed to overflowing. In fact, we're gonna put up a, a graphic right here. You can use the QR code, or you can go right here to wc.org serve, and we need you to sign up to serve, especially in the children's and preschool ministry at one service. And you're not gonna be asked to teach a lesson. You may hold a little one or just be there to help the teacher who's there every week and the other teachers that are there. And so it's an amazing children and preschool ministry that we have, but we need you. And so I just challenge you to sign up because if you wanna experience a miracle at Easter, it's all about serving. Because something happens when you get your eyes off yourself, you serve others, God meets your needs. Because when the grace overflows, God pours grace and blessing back into your life. I mean, why would God wanna keep pouring his blessings into your life if those blessings aren't coming out of your life? And some of us are kinda of like a sponge. We've been soaking it in, soaking it in, soaking in God's blessings, soaking in God's word, soaking in God's blessings, and it just fills us up. And so we can't take any more blessings because we've soaked it all in and can't take any more in, and that's why God wants to squeeze you. And let that, let that grace and those blessings splash over everyone around you so that he can fill you up again in an even greater way. So I challenge you to be a vessel that God fills up to overflowing. It's really easy to do. Just sign up, 
And then I wanna just challenge you to be a vessel that God uses to bring others. And we've given you these little cards. Tear them off, there's three of them. And we want you to pray and say, God, show me who to give them to. And I'm telling you, if you give these out to someone and invite them to Easter Sunday or Friday or Saturday, if you do that, I bet two out of three will come, maybe three out of three, because most people who don't go to church say, in all the surveys, I would go to church if someone would ask me. They need someone to ask them to be Jesus to them. So let's do that this week. And by the way, the services, this creative service that's all about lifting Jesus up, and it's gonna be so creative, so powerful, it's all about breakthrough and how Christ broke through the tomb on that Resurrection Sunday so that you can experience a breakthrough in your life, so that you can experience God bringing you to a new level. And so don't miss it. By the way, Friday night it starts, 7 p.m. We have our, and they're all the same service, but on Friday night, the first service on Good Friday, we're also gonna have communion. And I challenge so many regular attenders, come Friday night. And I know it's gonna be almost packed out on Friday night, and that's awesome. And then on Saturday at five and seven, we have services. By the way, there's egg hunts all around those services, Saturday, five and seven. And then Sunday morning, we have our sunrise service at 7 a.m., and that's when the sun rises this year. And last year, we had 700 people out on the lawn for the sunrise service. It's really amazing. And then we have our 9.30, 11.30, and 1.30 service on Easter. And I would say this, if you're a regular attender, don't come to the 9.30 or 11.30 unless you're bringing a friend because last year we had hundreds of people in overflow at those services. And we'll have another big overflow. And it's also, if you're bringing a friend, that's great. Whenever they wanna come, whenever they can come, you come 9.30, 11.30, whatever. But if you're not bringing a friend, come to one of the other services and make room for our guests that'll be here because we wanna be Jesus to them and give them a grace overflow so that their lives will be changed forever. You see, we wanna be the feet of grace, the hands of grace. We wanna be the face of grace this Easter. And the God of grace wants to fill you with such amazing grace this Easter that you overflow with grace and you share that grace with everyone around you. This grace overflow started at the cross on that Good Friday, but at the time, it didn't look like Good Friday. It looked like God-forsaken Friday. In fact, there was a time on the cross on that Friday when God, the Father God, had to forsake his own beloved son. Look at Matthew 27, 46. It says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Christ took on himself the sins of the world, the Father had to look away. Jesus experienced the pain of being forsaken so we can know he'll never forsake us. That Friday was a forsaken Friday. The disciples felt like it was a forsaken Friday. They felt like God had forgotten them and now they were totally alone. They also felt like it was a final Friday as they were in shock and despair over how it had all ended so suddenly. When Jesus died, so did their dream. Their hopes were crushed and everything felt so final. They thought it was a final Friday because they didn't realize the one who was forsaken would never forsake them. It felt like final Friday, but resurrection Sunday was coming and the son of God would have the final say. It was forsaken Friday for Simon Peter, 
It was also failure Friday for Simon Peter. Just the night before, Peter told Jesus he would never forsake him, even if everyone else did. But on Friday night, Simon Peter was sitting in the ashes of failure and shame after denying that he even knew who Jesus was. He was certain there was no coming back from this monumental failure. He thought it was failure Friday because he didn't realize the one he had forsaken would never forsake him. He thought it was failure Friday, but he didn't realize it was forgiveness Friday and Resurrection Sunday was coming. Simon Peter thought it was final Friday, but he didn't know the greatest comeback story of all time was being written and the God of the second chance would come back from the dead to give him a second chance. It was forsaken Friday, but for Satan and his demons, it was festival Friday. They were celebrating as they reveled in evil's apparent triumph, but their celebration was short-lived. Satan's festival Friday turned into silent Saturday as God shut him up on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead and all hell went silent. It was like a basketball team going into an opponent's arena that is packed out. And then the away team makes a shot that puts the game away. And they just silence the crowd. All the yelling, all the screaming, boom, nothing. A hush comes over the place. Our Savior rose again. He shut down Satan's celebration. Jesus silenced the grave. He silenced death's toll. And he took hold of the keys of death and hell. And he set the captives free. And he shouted, let the celebration begin. Forsaken Friday has given away to resurrection Sunday. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And maybe today you feel like it's forsaken Friday in your life. You feel like that God's forgotten all about you. You pray, but it seems like the heavens are silent. It seems like your prayers don't get above the ceiling. And you're doubting if God is even there. And you feel all alone in your pain. It may feel like forsaken Friday, but the one who was forsaken on that good Friday will never forsake you. It just feels like forsaken Friday. But you hold on because Resurrection Sunday is coming. Maybe it feels like Final Friday in your life. It seems like there's no hope. You feel like you'll always be stuck in the same place, that you'll never get through what you're going through. You'll always be stuck in this pain. But God says to you today, it may feel like Final Friday, but Resurrection Sunday is coming. And I'll have the final say in your life. And God says, hold on, it may be Friday, but Sunday is coming. It may be crucifixion Friday, but resurrection Sunday is coming. And maybe today you find yourself in failure Friday. You made such a mess, it feels like there's no coming back from it. But God says to you today, it is not failure Friday, it's forgiveness Friday. You've forsaken me, but I will forgive you. It may feel like failure Friday, but comeback Sunday is coming. And I came back from the dead so I could write your comeback story. And maybe you're in a fearful Friday that's filled with anxiety and fear. Or it's a really dark Friday, a darkness of depression that feels like it will never lift. I just want you to know it's not forever Friday. The anxiety, the depression, the fear may feel like forever Friday. It may feel like forsaken Friday. But Resurrection Sunday is coming, and God's turning that crucifixion into a resurrection. He's turning that bad Friday into good Friday. He's turning death into life. He's making all things new. And the one who was despised and rejected and forsaken 
will never forsake you. Let's stand Woodland Church and let's thank him because he is the king of the cross, king over death, the king of the universe. It may feel like Forsaken Friday, but I'm telling you, Resurrection Sunday is on the way. Let's get ready. Let's get ready for God's miracles. He wants to bring us to life and experience all that he has for us. And so let's just thank him. And let's think about the cross and all that he went through on the cross so that we could experience his grace. Dear God, I'll never understand your grace. I experience it. Lord, I'm amazed by it, but yet so hard to comprehend because it's so undeserved. And there's something in me that wants to earn it, wants to deserve it, but Lord, I know I can't. So I just thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that I don't have to prove myself to you, that I don't have to be good enough to get to heaven, that I don't have to work my way up to you because you came down to me to hold me, to lift me up, and to change me. And Lord, I pray for every Christ follower who's still putting the crown of thorns on their own head, still feeling the shame and the guilt, and it keeps them hiding, hiding in their struggles and sins and thinking, I can't come to God again with this, or thinking, I can't tell anyone about this, it's too ugly. Help them look into your face of grace and see the ugliness that you took upon yourself that is now beautiful to us because you accept us, you love us, you forgive us, and you change us. I pray for those, Lord, who feel like it's final Friday, that they have just walked too far away from you, that there's no coming back from this one. Just let them know, Lord, you're writing the comeback story because you came back from the dead. And their story is not written yet. Lord, help them to give you the pen so you can write the last chapter because it's not over yet. You still have a purpose. You still have a plan. And I pray for those who have never received your grace that right now in this moment, that they don't wait to Easter. They pray right now silently to you, dear Jesus Christ, I give up to your grace. I ask you for your forgiveness. I ask you to come into my life and change me from the inside out and I wanna go your path from now on. I want you to lead me, I want you to be my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Now help me grow in my faith, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God for Christ's salvation and Christ's grace. If you haven't experienced it, receive his grace today. And well in church, let's live in his grace, let's walk in his grace because it may feel like forsaken Friday, but I want you to know God is raised from the dead. He's alive. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty so our lives can be filled. It may feel dark to you right now, but I'm telling you, sunrise is coming. It felt dark to the disciples, but the sun was coming up and Resurrection Sunday was coming. They didn't know it. They were shocked by it, but they experienced it. So let's get ready to experience it because maybe you feel like it's a dark time in your life, but I want you to open your eyes, look to the cross, and let the light in. The light of Jesus Christ. Let's let the light in today. Let's open our eyes and open our hearts because love is on the way. God is on the move. 
Let's open up our hearts to him and let him do all that he wants to do in our lives. Let's open up the gates and let the king of glory in because he wants to start that grace overflow in you. It started at the cross, let it keep going with you. Splash it all around. Let's open up the windows and let the light of Christ in. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.